This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call on Tuesday, the 8th of August, 2023. I'm back on equities, Peter Gunry, um, after three weeks of holiday, a little bit uh, rusty still, but uh, catching up and uh, happy to see that equities uh, had a good July, although maybe it's getting uh, too much of uh, too much for equities. I'll get back to that point, but um, we, bu- we were bouncing off uh, the 4,500 level in the S&P 500 yesterday, a little bit more positive sentiment after that uh, bad week last week with uh, the Fed's uh, downgrade of uh, the U.S. Um, you know, fiscal outlook. And um, we had you know more negative data coming out of the economy, a lot of talk about Europe, uh, especially China. And China added to that nervousness over overnight with, um, with very uh, surprisingly bad uh, export-import numbers uh, for July. So um, we're seeing fresh risk-off sentiment coming back into the market. Slide two, uh, just added S&P 500 futures and the Hang Seng futures really, you know, Chinese equities are really looking bad at this point in time. It seems like China has really difficulties kick-starting their economy and um, our view in this team is that uh, China is galloping towards a panic moment where they will potentially enter some type of a, you know, environment where they will have to do helicopter money because um, their operating model, and I wrote about that yesterday on the on the analysis.saxo webpage. I, I did an equity note on on Europe, and you know, the sick man of Europe was an expression used on Germany back in the in the 1990s and early 2000s. Um, uh, and um, that word is coming back, and I think Germany and, and China. There's a link there. It's it's the, the globalization model. We've talked about that in the in our fragmentation game outlook that we wrote um, uh, last time, uh, and 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 that is what we're seeing as well with the, with uh, China. It is an economic model that has to be changed, and uh, that weakness. Ola, you're showing that on slide three with some some excellent charts there. I think. Yes, sorry, am I? I just got. Uh, I have to get rid of, get used to this technology once again. So, uh, yeah, it's it's good to be back, Peter. And uh, yeah, the the data just shows how we both exports and imports continues to uh, to slump uh, quite a bit. And uh, in in my space, the commodity sector, we saw weakness across the board uh, last month. I think the one that uh, caught the attention the most was the ninety percent. A month-on-month slump in in oil imports. Uh, refineries are running down inventories. Uh, prices have obviously risen during the past couple of months, and uh, that basically quite often leads to them looking at digging into inventories instead of importing uh, higher-priced oil. But uh, but generally, this is uh, this is showing a slowdown, which uh, which obviously needs to be arrested in some way, and uh, we need to uh, stay f- very focused on on uh, developments that comes uh, announcement coming from the the government over the coming months. Yeah, and on slide four, I've just highlighting China exports here in, in billions of dollars. Uh, they're non-seasonal adjusted, but um, I've stretched it over a long period, over more than 20 years here on a logarithmic uh, scale. So you sort of get the idea of the growth rate. And you can really see the Chinese uh, economic model as they entered the WTO back in 2001, hyper growth into that financial crisis, uh, a big rebound. And then from 2014, when we had the big uh, shakeup in, in dollar markets and commodity markets and China arguably had its, its worst slowdown in, in multiple decades from 2014 to 2016. Um, and then, you know, very little growth in those exports. And then we got the big jump during the uh, pandemic uh, splurge with a lot of fiscal impulse coming from the US and Europe. And now we're seeing these exports coming 
down again. So this is going to be crucial. It's going to be crucial for a lot of things, uh, not, uh, not least the bond market and the commodity market. Before we go to, to ULT, just on, on slide five, talking about the bond market, I, I've, I've shown in here the um, the cumulative excess return in percentage since early 2016 between the US equity market and the US uh, seven to 10 year benchmark index for, for treasury bonds. And here you can see how the US equity market have really been doing extremely well this year compared to bonds. And um, it can't help wonder whether we actually seeing peak growth expectations being priced in inequities here relative to bonds, especially with this whole AI, um, AI uh, hype. And I'll be actually writing a piece on that this week where I'm, I'm looking back at some of the Q2 earnings releases and, and, and taking a view on has this AI even meant anything for growth? Um, but I, I think the, the the big thing that is happening in our team LTR is that uh, Sting Jacobson, um, our chief investment officer, is still talking about you know a big change in sentiment and view here that we're moving towards potentially a, a stagflation environment, and that will mean a lot of things for equities, but also for uh, for bonds. So, uh, what have you for us today? Well, uh, uh, Peter, while you were away, um, a lot has happened in bond markets. So since uh, last week, we have seen uh, yield curves in the US and also in Europe uh, steepening. And the kind of steepening is not uh, what markets have anticipated. Last week, we have seen a bear steepening of yield curves, meaning that long-term yields rose faster than short-term yields. And the reason for that is that the sentiment last week was that the Federal Reserve would have kept interest rates higher for longer. So those expectations of rate cuts for next year were pushed further, uh, pushed further down the line. This week, uh, the kind of steepening that we are seeing in ear curves is completely different. We are seeing a bull steepening. And the reason for that is that the market uh, is uh, is uh, starting to believe that uh, the um, the recession story might not uh, uh, might not it shouldn't be discarded as uh, um, as uh, as uh, for, for for a lot of participants have been doing, and that obviously means uh, uh, lower rates, especially on longer maturities. And we have seen that uh, this morning uh, with uh, uh, the ten-year bond yields uh, dropping quite considerably, around uh, ten basis points, but. Peter, at this point, I believe that uh, we are um, going to see more steepening of the yield curves uh, when we look at uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, Treasury yield curve. I don't believe that is going uh, uh, to uh, the spread between 10 years and two years is going to become p positive by the end of the year because uh, there is going to be some steepening. But then in the fall, uh, there is going to be a renewal of inflation um, concerns, and uh, that should uh, bring back uh, some uh, bear flattening. But this week, in terms of uh, bonds, my focus is going to be on uh, the Treasury bond issuance. Uh, um, only today, there is around uh, $430 billion uh, worth of insurance between uh, one-year bills uh, and cash management bills and three-year coupon issuance. And then tomorrow, we have a 10 years and a 30 years. And what's different this week from the previous months uh, is that uh, coupon insurance has been uh, increased for the first time in two years and a half. 
and it's going to increase uh, even further in September and October and going towards 2024. So what I'm going to look at is whether the market is going to absorb this uh, kind of bond supply. Interesting, uh, interesting stuff. And uh, you, you also have, I think you t- you wrote in your in your note yesterday, LT, on this whole uh, collateral uh, scarcity. Uh, the Bundesbank stopped paying interest on deposits. Um, being a simple equity man, I, I I don't pay a lot of attention to these, uh, but um, but it it probably means a lot of things. Um, since you wrote about it yesterday, so what can you tell us about about this? Situation. Yes, what means, uh, Peter, is that uh, if the Bundesbank doesn't pay any interest uh, on uh, bank deposits, uh, then that cash has to look for higher yielding, uh, good quality places where to park that money. And in this case, it's going to be the front part of the yield curve, so two years chats. And that's why yesterday we have seen uh, um, the a steepening of a twist steepening of the yield curve, meaning that the front part of the yield curve has been dropping, but long term yields uh, uh, have been rising because they've been uh, closely correlated uh, to uh, U.S. Uh, Treasury yields. But the most significant move, uh, uh, Peter, uh, yesterday was uh, the change of inflation expectations. The five year five year inflation forward rose to two point sixty six percent, which is a thirteen year high. So basically, what that means is that if yields are dropping, uh, inflation expectations get hotter, and uh, we go back to um, to uh, base one. Like the central banks have still the inflation problem. Uh, uh, in their hands, but I'm gonna take you to slide seven because also something has changed uh, in uh, in terms of sentiment uh, in uh, in the in um, uh, European government bonds. So this morning, uh, the two-year shots yields uh, uh, opened below support uh, at uh, the old support at 2.95 percent. And uh, yesterday, I looked uh, uh, with uh, King Kramer this uh, this chart and. Uh, um, he said that uh, if we were seeing RSI below uh, 40 and uh, um, the two-year yields breaking below 2.95%, we would enter in, ba- in bearish territory. All right. And uh, Ole, I know you're on a time uh, a time schedule here. So uh, I think we should uh, uh, you know, talk about commodities because with everything that's going on in, in China and, and, and the bond markets, it's, it's very much have an impact on, on your market as well. Indeed, and I just put in the uh, the performance so far this quarter on slide nine. Um, I did a few updates uh, because there's also also been various cut reports coming out, so you can find some of these updates on my Twitter profile. Uh, but on the uh, the performance, uh, you can see that the, uh, the 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 gains so far this quarter has really been led by the energy sector, and we all know the reasons why. Supply is being held tight by Saudi Arabia and also Russia. Uh, demand is still a, a quite a big question mark, and we see that regarding uh, the imports into China, but supply. So right now it's a tight supply uh, driven uh, rally, which makes me a little bit uh, concerned that we may have seen most of it already. Uh, Mid eighties, I think, will offer some resistance here in the in, in Brent. Um, also, the the rally has been led by diesel. Uh, we got diesel price both in U.S. and Europe trading above one hundred twenty dollars uh, crude oil equivalent. Uh, so uh, so that has been the the main driver. But elsewhere, the we we got uh, profit taking coming into the grain market. Weather is good in the U.S. Uh, it's it's adding to uh, in raising raising production uh, potentials. Uh, we got Black Sea concerns uh, still weighing on or lift uh, 
supporting the wheat, but the wheat is still, they're still holding near the low end of its, its recent range because production looks uh, pretty good elsewhere. Um, the, the commodity index, uh, as you can see, has been has continued to trade higher, so we need to find some support that f- uh, soon for that rally to continue in the short term. Just also just want to highlight the, the, the gold market on slide 10. Uh, we have come down after being rejected above 1980 last month. And uh, at this moment in time, we're looking for support down towards that 1925 level. We um, we are increasingly concerned that the U.S. will uh, run into some re- run into a recession. We are concerned that uh, yields or potentially that could lead to a, a peak in yields and Fed rates uh, sooner than expected. These are not playing out right now, but these are some of the themes that potentially could drive gold higher later this year. And and and, uh, and that's why we, uh, we even though we have come down, we're still maintaining a, a positive outlook for for gold. But we'll write more about that in updates in the in the coming days. Great, Ole, and uh, it's great to have you back. And um, while you were away, um, Twitter changed its name to X, um, so it's not called Twitter any longer, but but X. So uh, I don't know what that means. Whether we are still tweeting or we are uh, Xing, I don't know. Uh, very confusing to say the well, least. <laughs> and and imagine and imagine your credit card statement saying X Premium. I <laughs> uh, wonder what uh, what your better half is going to say to that uh, that statement. Uh, I saw a tweet from there yesterday. So, so uh, yeah, it, it's being built as X Premium if you got the blue tag. So uh, that's uh, that's a that's a tricky one. <laughs> that's actually a very good one. I, I like that one. Yeah. Um, John John Hardy, our uh, our FX uh, expert, is um, is on holiday now. So um, we have on on slide eight two uh, two charts today because the yen is in focus, obviously, and then also the Chinese uh, the Chinese currency, and you can really see the the dollar strengthening there against the Chinese currency, and um, well, also against the uh, the yen. So the, the, those are the moves to to watch if you are interested in currencies. If you look at some of the companies uh, to watch today, I think the big move here today in European markets is from uh, is in Italian banks. So the Italian government, uh, that is not a big surprise. They they were working on a new tax package. They want to increase their tax revenue. Um, but what was a surprise was that in the in the last minute, um, or at least it came as a big surprise to the market, it was not priced in, was this extra tax rate on banks' profits. And um, the Italian government has been extremely vocal on uh, the high interest rates set by the ECB. And these high interest rate levels across the board have really propped up profits from uh, for European banks, and especially Italian banks have been really been doing quite well on the on the bottom line uh, side of things and um, as you can see here on the slide 11 uh, Unicredit one of the largest banks in in in, in Italy has really been doing very well on the on the share price this year and you can see the big uh, decline there well, I think last time I checked we were down 6 7% in Unicredit and and um and Intesa San Paolo the two biggest banks there in Italy so so watch that story I think from a political point of view it's an interesting take that the, the Meloni government is taking because they, they, uh, they're going to spend some of that extra tax revenue from taxing the banks to give subsidies to, uh, to first, uh, first-time home buyers in Italy. I think that's an excellent, very interesting move politically to, to do, um, to taking the profits of the banks to help people to get into the, to, the, to the home market, and they will, of course, increase their loans as well. So that's an interesting one. Watch that. Elsewhere, uh, Glencore, one of the largest uh, mining companies in the world, their first half uh, operating profits down 50% from a year ago. Obviously, the lower commodity prices, as we've been talking about on this podcast for uh, for, for many months now, taking a toll, of course, on, on their profitability. They also initiating an additional buyback program uh, worth $1.2 billion. Uh, the market is not really happy about the results from Glencore's shares are down 3%. And then Palantir, which is part of the 
cluster of AI-related stocks. Um, they put out an outlook on revenue for Q3 that was slightly better than what the market had expected. Um, so shares were up 3% in extended trading, and um, that will definitely be one of the stocks I'll be talking about um, because my preliminary thoughts on the, the earnings season is that this AI is not really shifting the gear, so to speak, on growth for these technology companies. So to me, it's still a lot of talk still and a lot of anticipation and uh, people want to tinker and, and play with these AI and that's in the, still in the short term only playing into the hands of NVIDIA and not seeing a lot of uh, growth shifts elsewhere. Um, in terms of earnings to watch for today in the US session, Eli Lilly uh, very much in uh, in focus because of their playing catch up with Novo Nordisk in this huge, very profitable obesity market they're coming up uh, hopefully very soon with their FDA approval on their uh, comp- competing drug uh, to Novo Nordisk's um, obesity drugs. UPS, one of the largest logistics firms in the world, also reporting. I think that will be before the, the market opens. And um, I've put in their their um, their expectation from analysts there in the little insert. We're on slide 12 in today's slide deck, which you can always find. When you go in, when you when you look in your uh, podcast app, there is in the in the upper end of this summary text on on today's episode. There is a little link. If you click on that, it will actually open up the PDF slide deck while you're listening to the podcast. So if you're not, of course, commuting commuting by driving your own car, doing it or, or on your bike, then you can actually and you have some uh, some um, you're sitting down quietly. You can you can look at the PDF while we're talking. I think it's actually quite helpful sometimes. To, to get a better feeling of what we're talking about. Uh, and as you can see here, the um, <clears throat> expectation for UPS, not very positive. And we already got some clues from Maersk last week, which is the world's largest um, shipping container company, saying they were downgrading their forecast actually for container uh, container volume this year. So um, a lot of pressure in the, in the global logistics. And I think that's, again, uh, correlated with what we're seeing in China. And then I've highlighted QBang and Global Foundries. Global Foundries, um, a semiconductor manufacturing company, uh, based in the U.S. and then QBang is um, is a South Korean uh, version of Amazon. So um, South Korea's economy is is a quite pro-cyclical economy uh, in the global economy. So it, um, it it I always find it quite interesting to get these bits pieces of information out of South Korea. Um, if we move to the macro calendar, it's very much a day where, as I'll say already mentioned, it's a focus on the uh, on the U.S. Treasury issuances already being mentioned. It will be seven. 1730 GMT and 1900 GMT, that's for the three-year notes. And then otherwise the big uh, focus point will be at around uh, noon um, GMT. So 1215 and 1230, we have Harker and Barkin being, uh, you know, Harker being a voting member and an unvoting member Barkin having a speech on the economy. And yesterday we had uh, two other fit uh, speeches as well. So a lot of speeches. And um, if you look at the longer-term highlights, talking about fit speeches, we have the Jackson Hole Symposium coming up later uh, this month. It's going to be quite interesting. The headline there is Structural Shifts in the Global Economy. Remember that Christine Lagarde, the ECB president, she had this uh, big speech, Central Banks in a Fragmenting World. That was a speech in the New York Economic Club back in April of this year. So um, central banks very much in the US and Europe preparing themselves for a very different environment, and um, who knows, maybe they're going to talk about stagflation as we are preparing to talk about stagflation. We'll, uh, we'll of course, focus uh, on that as we as we as it gets on the way. And in the meantime, uh, we'll be back on this podcast tomorrow, same time and place. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call. 
or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.